Farpoint Media. I should be writing number 136. I Should Be Writing, the podcast for wannabe fiction writers. I'm your host, Mer Lafferty. This podcast is brought to you by GoToMeeting. Okay, picture this. You're on the phone with a client or colleague trying to explain something visual, a spreadsheet, PowerPoint, but it's frustrating because they can't see what you're talking about. But now they can. Just use GoToMeeting.com to hold an online meeting. Use it for sales presentations, training sessions, or product demos. Use it to collaborate. It's so easy. Set up a meeting in advance or start one on the fly. Everyone simply logs on to GoToMeeting.com. Now they see your computer desktop on their computer screen, so you can show them what you're talking about. Our listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. That's a month of unlimited online meetings for free. For this special offer, you must visit www.GoToMeeting.com podcast. That's GoToMeeting.com podcast for a free trial. And it is November 11th, and happy Veterans Day. Thank you to all who have served our country or your country. We are almost in the middle of NaNoWriMo, and I did a blog post today about the fact that I am backsliding big time. Not that I'm deleting words, but as I said, my edited novel is number one priority, and I have been working on that. I am up to chapter 18, I think, of 27, so I'm across the middle, middle hump of the book, barely. And, uh, you know, if I figure if I do two chapters a day, I will make some good headway. But this morning I just decided, I realized I, it was taking a lot out of me to work on two projects at once. And so I took a couple of days off from NaNoWriMo. And right now, at the end of today, I think you're supposed to be at six, uh, almost 18,000 words, I think. Hang on, I can find out immediately. At the end of the 11th, 18,337. And I am at 9,000. I was at 8,100, but then I wrote 1,000 words this morning, so I'm at 9,100 around bout. And uh, it's just, I got kind of depressed, but then I realized that I can either whine about it, I can quit, or I can keep writing. And I decided to keep writing because it sounds bad to hear that I am 9,000 words behind. It sounds bad to hear that um, I have 41,000 words to go. But if you say it in the fact that if you count today, I have 20 days left, and that's a little bit, that's around about 2,000 words a day, I can probably handle that. Now, granted, I was unable to handle 1,700 words a day for the first 10 days of the month, but hey, if we're not thinking positive, we'll never accomplish anything. So that's where I stand. Today's episode is a little special because I'm going to be doing the triple threat interviews. Pip Ballantyne, Dan Sawyer, and Chris Lester all releasing new stuff, and I will uh, be playing their interviews and their promos, and you'll learn all about this fantastic new free podcast fiction you're able to get. So let's get to that awesomeness. I Should Be Writing is also sponsored by Dr. Wicked's Write or Die. This is an application that encourages writing by providing consequences for distraction. You know how it goes. You sit down to write, and before long you're thinking, it's been 30 seconds. I bet something interesting has happened on the internet. This happens to me more often than I like to admit. 
But with write or die, this is no longer a problem. You set a word goal and a time goal, and if you become distracted and stop writing before you reach your goal, consequences ensue. Your consequences are fully customizable, depending on your likeliness to become distracted. Either a gentle text box reminding you to keep writing, an annoying sound played at you until you keep writing, or kamikaze mode, in which your words are deleted one by one until you start writing again. Yes, it's a bit scary, but it definitely works. The online version is totally free, and the recently released Write or Die Desktop Edition is only $10 and provides more customization options and a mode where you can have a head-to-head word war with a friend over the internet. Either way, Write or Die will help you keep writing when you should be writing. For more information, go to writeordie.drwicked.com. First, we're going to talk about the main topic of the show, and this one's going to be about parents. Um, If you're not a parent... I'm sorry, but sometimes we just have to leave some of the audience out to talk intimately with the other part. And I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, when you are a parent, you your priorities change completely. Suddenly, the raising of this child is paramount. It's huge. And, and people say this and make it lip service and everyone else rolls their eye. But when you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You know that the feeling of overwhelming responsibility you have. And this is when a lot of adults stop writing because, you know, in the early days, there's night feedings and make sure the baby doesn't pull something over on his head and catch on fire and stuff. And then when they get older, they they require more attention. They require attention just to make sure they don't get into things. And then when they get even older, they require attention for help with homework. And you can actually talk to them and carry on a fun conversation and... um, you know, they're always there taking up brain space, taking up time. And I say that as if it's a negative thing, but no, I mean, everything takes up brain space and takes up time, and they're suddenly the priority. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to make anybody feel bad. I got an email about, um, well, to go on a brief tangent, I had uh, a blog post this week about... Um, how some people were telling me I should not say that I was a wannabe fiction writer anymore because they thought that the publication of Playing for Keeps made me a writer, made me a successful writer, I should say. I was I was not a wannabe anymore. I had arrived. And, you know, if you don't read the blog, I essentially said, you know, writing is not, it's not black and white. It's not you're outside the party and then you're inside the party. It's not you're drinking chocolate milk and then you're drinking champagne. It's little bitty steps. And, Success is also a relative term. You don't know. You know, it's hard to say when you're a success. I think I would call myself a success once I can look at the money I'm bringing in from my writing and say, I could live on this. Maybe not support my family, but this is a reasonable adult salary. And, um, you know, I'm far from it. You know, I but 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 somebody read this blog post and wrote into me and said, you know, he's kind of down on his life right now, and he says it really discourages me to hear you say that you don't feel like a writer, and and I just want to say no, I did not say I didn't feel like a writer. I said I didn't feel like a success yet. I'm not saying I'm unsuccessful. I'm just saying I'm not a success yet. I'm definitely a writer because I write, and if you write, you're definitely a writer. You don't, you don't need to worry about that. You're always a writer if you're putting words on the page. So I may look into addressing that email more, but um, 
it's, you know, I worry about if I talk about what brings me down or what upsets me is that people would look at me and say, well, hell, if you're feeling that way, then I'm completely lost. Because um, I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't feel like I'm much farther along than most people. But I do, you know, I, I thought about pointing out the fact that, you know, there are single mothers who've built novelist careers. Ursula K. Le Guin has several children. I don't think she was a single mother, but I'm just talking about other people who who had kids or were primary caregivers or something. They found the time because it was their priority past the kids. You know, sometimes, and yes, I'm a parent. I understand. Sometimes the priority is sit on your butt and just breathe when you get a chance. But sometimes, if you really want it, you'll take that time and write. You'll stay up a little later. You'll get up a little earlier. You'll tell your kids, only if you're on fire or bleeding can you come into my office for the next 45 minutes. But, I, th- but something else has been occurring to me. When you're a parent, you look at this little bundle of potential and you think, I want everything for you. I want you to have the chance to do anything you want. I want you to be the first woman on the moon. I want you to be the first person on Mars. I want you to be an inventor or president or a a, a star basketball player or football player or whatever you want for your kid. You look at them and you think, you tell them, you can do it. And if they say, no, I'm a girl, girls don't do that, or I'm too short to play basketball, you know, you can pull up. Here's Amelia Earhart. Here's Muggsy Bogues. He was 5'3", and he played in the NBA. I mean, you want to tell your kid that they can do anything. But if your kid knows that your dream is to be a writer and you're not following that, then why the hell should they believe you when you say you can do anything you want to do? Because this is me, guys. This is me telling you. I don't care if you're 15, if you're 40, if you're 80. You can be anything you want to be. And if you want to be a writer, then be a writer. And remember that your kids are watching you, and they learn from you. And if you have a dream and you tell your kid that you have a dream, then follow it. And that will give them the courage. They'll understand. They'll look at you and say, huh, well, you're following your dream. That's pretty cool. So I guess I'll follow mine. Instead of, well, yeah, you're telling me I could be president, but look at you. You're sitting on the couch eating chips and you got grease all over your your undershirt there. The funny thing about trying to give people pep talks is it's intended to do one thing, and that's give people pep. It's to give them the sense of, yeah, I can do this, rawr, and stand up and start screaming and run into the, the, the office and sit down at your computer and you don't care whether you have a cup of coffee or if the phone's ringing or whatever because you know you're going to get this done. But um, sometimes people just get depressed. And sometimes they get the feeling that all is lost, this is pointless, and... Um, you know, you're saying that I can do all of these things and I know I can't because I'm too tired and I'm just going to give up now. And that's what really makes me sad when, you know, I try to give out positive messages and people just see it as too high of a hurdle. But remember, if it is your dream, you should follow it. And if it is your dream to write, then write 100 words a day. Write 250 words a day. That's a page. Just write. Don't fret. 
I swear, I've spent more of my life fretting than I have writing. If I wrote all those times that I fretted, I would have buckets of novels. I would be a master. I would have spent all those hours that you're supposed to spend mastering your craft. I'd already be there. And you know, when I try to tell you that I'm feeling down, I'm feeling like I can't handle something or I'm never going to get a big publishing deal or whatever, it is a sense of, I'm not trying to let you know that even if you get as far as I have with several short story sales and one small press novel, that even if you get this far, you'll still feel like crap. It's to say, I feel just like you do. And I'm not sitting on top of the world and everything's fabulous. And I'm not saying I'm horribly depressed right now or feeling that way. I'm just saying that there have been times when I've said that and the, some of the reactions have been, oh God, well, if you feel like that, then why should I even try writing? But I'm getting off on a bit of a tangent. My point is to raise kids who really will follow their dreams, they need to watch parents follow their dreams as well. And if you want to be a good role model for your kids, then chase your dreams. Do the things that make you passionate. Yeah, maybe they'll want, maybe they'll be upset about the time you're not spending with them at that moment, but I'm betting you'll be happier the next, the, when you do get a chance to spend time with them. Because you will be chasing your dream. You will be writing. Or doing whatever you want to do. I don't think when your kids grow up and you tell them, I gave up writing to raise you, I don't think they would appreciate it. I mean, even if you say it as a matter-of-fact thing, not as a bitter thing. So, that's my message for the day. We're going back to Luna to finish the job. The lunar revolution is faltering. The Persians and the Americans are about to make life very uncomfortable and dangerous out here, Mr. Hartman. There is a traitor in the resistance. We're going to push Mongoose down into those tunnels and find our moles. And we're going to shut them down. But their fate might rest with a fugitive. No way you get away now, you son of a bitch. And his name is Joss Kyle. Choose your side, plant your flag, and join the resistance. If... You can decide who you really are. From the mind of J. Daniel Sawyer, Free Will and Other Compulsions. Book 2 of the Antithesis Progression. November 11th, The War Begins at www.jdsawyer.net Free Will and Other Compulsions. It isn't whether you win or lose, but can you survive the game. Welcome back to I Should Be Writing, and I'm very pleased to have J. Daniel Sawyer, podcaster and man who is probably busier than I am, extraordinaire. How are you, Dan? I'm doing great, and I think in more insane is probably a little more accurate. Yeah, probably. Probably. You've got the excuse of having a family, you know, with children. I don't have any children, and I'm still more. I'm still insane. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of scares me to wonder how much stuff I would be involved in if I did not have my daughter. <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. Good point. But we're not here to talk about the insa the proposed insanity in an alternative timeline. We're here to talk about you and your awesomeness. Now, it's oh, so funny you. because <laughs> you have an upcoming project called Free Will that I want to talk about, but you told me before we started recording that... You're currently in the middle of recording Down From Ten, 
and mm-hmm. you will have some overlap because Free Will is launching shortly. So why in the world are you so crazy? And then you can tell us a little bit about the projects. <laughs> well, uh, I suppose the, the the diplomatic way to put it is to blame it on my New Year's resolution. I, uh, I Last New Year's I said, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it seriously. I want to try to write and podcast three books in one year to, to get kind of a running start. And um, about – Three quarters of the way through writing the second book of the year and podcasting the second book of the year. And uh, I've got a long way to go yet. And just life. Yeah. Life keeps throwing curveballs that throws the lovely schedule on the calendar off. But being insane, I quite enjoy the challenge. So it works. You do know it's October, right? Yeah, I know. Late October. (laughs) I'm, I'm not, I'm not I'm trying to rain keenly, on your parade. I'm, no, no, no. I'm keenly aware of this. Okay. I just want you to know. It's, it's, I mean, I've been guilty of it, too. The whole, hey, here's what I want to get done this year. And then suddenly the list still seems pretty darn long at the end of the year. And you wonder. Yeah, I'm actually doing pretty well. I'm about, I'm about two-thirds of the way through the list. So. Okay. Well, uh, first tell us about Down From Ten. Uh, Down From Ten is a, um, a country house murder comedy. With uh, featuring just about everybody in the potosphere as voice actors, it's a uh, a novel about eight artists who get trapped in an avalanche and forced to try to survive and or find their way out while weird things start happening, like they all start having the same dream and they start seeing things, and the mystery builds up as to what's going on, and eventually someone dies and. You know, was it a murder? Was it not? And uh, we're in the final half of the book, careening towards the uh, careening towards the solution to the mystery right now, and it's a lot of fun. Awesome. So you you're about uh, what what date what date do you think you'll be hitting the end of that? Um, probably beginning of January. Wow. And you won't have any time for a uh, end of the project party because you will be heavily into free will. So tell me a little bit about right. that one now. Well, free will is the sequel to predestination. I don't know if you listened to predestination yet or if you're planning to, but predestination is a uh, near future science fiction thriller. It's the first in a series of five books that involves the revolutionary war between the lunar colonies and their respective governments back home. At the end of predestination, we kind of got up to the edge of the abyss and leapt off and did I left everyone. A cliffhanger. I did. I, well, I did. I did a very ter- terrible, terrible cliffhanger. But um, free will picks up on the way down the abyss as um, our characters are trying desperately to keep the war from spinning out of control before they're ready to fight it. And uh, we follow. We follow Joss and Allie back to Earth to try to uh, to try to. Get, actually, I can't say anything about it because it'll spoil it. So, <laughs> spoil it. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, if if you liked Predestination, this is this is the same kind of thing again with more action, more intrigue, more conspiracies, and some very distressing and interesting revelations about our characters. Great. So, um, are your projects done, or are you one of the crazy people who writes and then records as you go? I normally get the book written and edited before I record it. Very wise. Uh, free will isn't working out that way. Uh-oh. Um 
because I had uh, two, two or three different people who um, I owed big favors to called in favors that turned out taking quite a bit longer than I expected. So I'm, in, I'm at the point where I've got half of Free Will written and edited, and I'm working on the other half as I am ramping up to record for Free Will. Fortunately, I've got most of my voice cast confirmed to come back, so it should it it should roll along pretty quick. But I'm going to be laying track to stay ahead of the thing. I do know where it's going, and I've got the whole thing rough drafted, so I'm doing the final draft as I go. Right. But uh, yeah, yeah, this is it's crazy, and I I haven't even started it yet, and I know I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't recommend it. I uh, I well, you did that to... with the Heaven series, yes, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, I oh. I'm currently I'm currently done. But uh, I tried to, as you say, lay track, like, writing episode seven as I'm recording episode one. But, of course, I caught up with myself, and so right. um, I, don't, I don't recommend it, and I'm never going to do it again. But, yeah, I, yeah in, order, in order to make sure I can keep up, what I, I'm going to start Free Will on a biweekly schedule until Down From Ten is done, and then switch it to weekly, so that I'll have... A little bit more padding to get the po- to get it nice and polished before the audience gets it. Okay, so to continue on your insanity, <laughs> um, are you? Do you have a project planned for after free will? Yes, indeed. Awesome. Um, <laughs> Philippa Ballantyne and I, um, at least tentatively, we're still working on the on the final details, but we're looking at co-authoring a young adult urban fantasy called The Automotive. Um, takes place in a steampunk world beneath San Francisco, and it's about a uh, teenage girl whose car keeps getting stolen. Cool. Yeah. And she, uh, in the process of attempting to find out who's stealing her car and returning it every morning with a full tank of gas... Um, she winds up getting caught up in this steampunk world beneath the city. Awesome. So that should be fun. Yeah. That's one thing I've found is that the people who are really, really, really painfully creative always plan about three or four projects ahead. <laughs> yeah. Funny you should mention that. Yeah. And of course, after that is book three of the Antithesis series. And uh-huh. then I've got other books planned after that. So, yeah. Do you, yeah. ever, do you ever worry you're going to die before you write it all? Yes, I do actually, and I, I, did, I have I have this terminal fear of dying in the middle of a series or in the middle of a book, particularly. Yeah, no one's going to come to your funeral, or everybody who does is going to spit on you for not finishing it. And right, right. I mean, I want to die like Stanley Kubrick did. I mean, he was trying to make Eyes Wide Shut for thirty years. He made it. He watched the final cut, and he died that night in his sleep. That seems a perfect way to die. Yes, and Charles Schultz died soon after he ended Peanuts. Right. Yeah. yeah. You die when your life's work is complete. Of course, if that strategy works and you keep enough projects in the air, maybe yeah. you know the death part won't come. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking, good Lord, Charles, why'd you stop? Yeah, maybe really. he wouldn't have died if he'd stopped. But anyway, we're getting off topic. Um, let's talk about you are doing a major uh, – Publicity push with uh, yes. Pip Valentine and Chris Lester. What can you tell me about that? Well, Pip and Chris and myself are all releasing our next uh, patio books on the same day, which is November 11th. We're releasing our first episodes. Um, Chris is doing season two of Metamore City, starting off with short stories and then moving into the novel at the beginning of the year. And Pip is doing Digital Magic. And uh, we're 
currently trouncing around the potosphere together, raising much hell and creating uh, creating traumatized psyches in our wake and having a lot of fun doing it. Awesome. Well, you can't traumatize me. I've had a lot of crazy people on this show. You know that. <laughs> well, that's true. And and you wrote Heaven, which was which was a good psyche traumatizer. By the way, congratulations on finishing. Loved it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so let's talk about your writing style. I mean, clearly you're extraordinarily prolific. Um, how do you approach writing? Are you a write every day or are you a binge kind of person? Um, I try to be a write every day and I wind up being a binge kind of person. Um, so it, if I'm in, if I'm in a groove, I can, I can dependably put out between five and 8,000 words a day for a month or two. Good but, Lord. um, but if I'm not in a groove, I really, really, really have to bust my ass to hit a thousand words in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so beginnings of books are really hard for me, and then the last half is just is is smooth sailing because by that time I know where it's going. Um, often I've written the end already, so I'm not, you know, I don't have to worry about the story falling apart. I just have to make sure I connect point A to point B. Well, you actually write you write the end. Quite often, I I tend to um not not with every project, but I tend to start um to start my stories having either the first scene very vivid in my mind or the final scene very vivid in my mind. Mm-hmm. And if it, star- if it starts with the first scene very vivid, usually by the time I hit the half or three-quarter mark, the final scene pops into my head and I'll skip forward and write that and then connect the dots. Wow. Do you, I mean, do you like outline it or do you seriously write the final scene and everything? I seriously write the final scene and everything, and then of wow. course when I get there, I read it over again to make sure it's consistent right. and, and and tweak it. But knowing where I'm going really helps. Uh, really helps with the problem I had when I was first writing, which is I would write these stories that would that would have this great setup, and then I'd be like, "And now what?" And I'd never know where to go, and it would always fall apart. Mm-hmm. So doing it this way helps me not do that anymore. That's fascinating. I don't think I've heard anybody write like that. I think I think it comes partly from I started out um I started out writing fiction very young and I took a break from it to write screenplays for a while. And screenplays, you know, you do in order to make them work, you have to plot them out on little note cards, mm-hmm. which, you know, a sentence describes the scene and I think in the process of learning to do that and finding it a very good way to plot things out, um, I acquired the habit of being able to jump into a scene and write it depending on where my mood was and then smooth it out in the second draft. A battle happens. Right. (laughs) Well, I'm usually a little more specific than that. Like a battle (laughs) happens in which this, this, and this must happen. And yeah. No, it's, it's, Fight scenes are my least favorite thing, and so I usually, mm. if if I'm in the groove but not feeling like I want to write a fight scene, I just write a fight scene happens here, and then I keep uh-huh. going. I have live Makes in sense. fear of accidentally submitting something with a fight scene happens <laughs> here. So tell me about your uh, your goals of getting published, if any. You are a extremely prolific uh, patio book producer, which is um, awesome. And apparently, if you look at Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins, the uh, one of the good paths to go. But is publication your goal, and how is that looking for you? Uh, publication is a goal. It's not my ultimate goal. It's one of the goals I have along the way. Um, 
just and then it's a pragmatic thing i do want to i do want to be published and i'm pursuing that that's that's been a much slower ramp up for me because the publishing business is something I've been having to come up to speed on, but I'm, you know, I'm going to World Fantasy Con this year, and I finally got queries out to different publishers for predestination and some publisher interest in it. Um, so that's that's been a bit of a slow ramp up for me, but it's um, that's one of the way stations. I'm also, you know, I want to be published primarily a because of the visibility because I get more readers, mm-hmm. and b because it puts it puts me as a writer in a business position to do things like sell options and get screenwriting deals and get get other writing deals where money actually does come in, whereas fiction writing, unless you are the top one percent, doesn't pay anything. Right. So, you know, part of it's because I've always wanted to have my books on the shelf since I was eight, and part of it's, hey, this is a business, and it takes so much time, I've got to try to position myself well. Yeah, it's it's good to hear you say it's a business, because that is that is something very true, and I, and I get sad when people say, oh, I get mad when authors call their books properties, or uh, just people who get upset at, at when we start talking about it like it's a business. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's really important as as a writer to be able to switch back and forth between the artist and the business head headspaces. Mm-hmm. When you're in the business headspace, it's a property, and you do what you have to do to make it work. When you're in the artist headspace, you apply the polish and the tender, loving care, and make it something really special to you. And I think both are important, even if you're not. Going for commercial publication, keeping keeping the business aspects in mind, I think helps. At least for me, it helps keep me honest in making my writing accessible to an audience, so I'm not writing just for myself. Yeah, and also you realize once the spotlight on you, once the spotlight is on you, you're going to want to be professional. That's also right. a business decision. Yes. Well, Dan, it has been fantastic talking to you. Where can we find you online? You can find all of my stuff at uh, both fiction and nonfiction podcasts and all the other stuff I do when I have time at www.jdsawyer.net. Fantastic. Uh, Thank you for being on the show and good luck with your big launch. Thank you very much for having me, Mer. Podcasters all over the world are talking about Metamore City. You want to know about Metamore City? J. Daniel Sawyer, author of Predestination and Down from Ten. Take Blade Runner and Dark City. Now mix in The Wizard of Oz with a healthy dose of werewolves, private detectives, telepaths, vampires, demons, cops, criminals. Make everyone a shapeshifter. And then you begin to have an idea. Philippa Ballantyne, author of Chasing the Bard and Weather Child. In the layer cake of Metamore City, Chris Lester sets short stories and novels with a cast of characters that you'll fall in love with. Rick Stringer, creator of Variant Frequencies. Chris Lester has created a masterpiece here. It is one of the few podcasts that when I listen to it, I say to myself, I wish I had done that. Mer Lafferty, author of Heaven and Playing for Keeps. Metamore City is a horrific thrill ride. A gender-bending story of intrigue, betrayal, and love. It has entranced me, and it'll entrance you. If you like magic, darkness, and technology, this is the podcast number for you. The voices are some of the best in podcasting, and the production is second to none. This podcast novel is both sexy and dangerous. Dark, beautiful, moody melodrama with a ubiquitous erotic edge and always a sense of wonder. Come here for yourself as the Parsec Award-winning Metamore City podcast begins its second spellbinding season. Subscribe in iTunes, 
or visit metamorecity.com for more information. That's M-E-T-A-M-O-R city.com. You're gonna love it. And now on I Should Be Writing, I am very glad to have the extremely patient podcaster <laughs> and author, Chris Lester, author of Metamore City and all of its uh, extended bits. How are you, Chris? I'm doing well, Mara. Thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome. Um, I'm, I, I, I know I was incredibly eloquent to describe that, but uh, <laughs> today is 11-11 and I believe you are releasing something new today. So can you tell me about that? Yes, today is the start of the podcaster Triple Threat. Um, Myself and J. Daniel Sawyer and Philippa Ballantyne are all releasing new podcasting projects today. Uh, So far today, uh, Pip has released the first chapter of her novel Digital Magic. And later on this evening, uh, Dan is going to be releasing Free Will and Other Compulsions, which is the second book in his Antithesis Progression series of uh, spy novels in space. Right. And I am releasing the second season of Metamore City, uh, which is going to, again, be a series of short stories leading up to another novel to cap things off. Awesome. Well, you've been working on Metamore City for, what, you've been podcasting it for about two years now? I started podcasting in September 2007, gotcha. so a little over two years. Wow, congratulations. And, Thank uh, you. So tell us a little bit about Metamore City for those who haven't heard it. Uh, the elevator pitch is high fantasy meets Blade Runner. This is a world where... Um, It was a world of magic, a world of many different fantastic races and um, high magic wizards, you know, epic adventures, that sort of thing, that grew up into modern technology but kept the magic. Normally when we have series where magical societies evolve into technological societies, the magic goes away in one form or another. In the world of Metamore, the magic stayed around and became incorporated in with the technology, and so each sort of reinforces the other. So we have, for example, the capital of Metamore City, which is full of these huge, enormous buildings that are kept um, structurally reinforced through spell hardening of steel and concrete, and yet we also have vehicles that um, fly through a combination of magic and technology. We have computers. We have a analog to the Internet. We have many of the uh, amenities that we would think of as being typical of a high-technology society, but with the magic uh, seamlessly integrated into it. Right. So your next... Your next bit is not your next novel, but it's a, is it short stories or a novella or what? Yeah, there's. I think that the first um, the first story is probably technically of novella length. I haven't checked the total word count since I made the expansions to it. But the first story is going to be four uh, episodes of about about a half an hour each, maybe a little longer, um, called Whispers in the Wood. And it is a story of a supernatural police officer and a paranormal investigator teaming up to try to find out the secrets of a violin that appears to be killing people on the nights of the new moon. 
And uh, the next adventures are going to be a uh, story by Nobilis Reed, which takes place in a university that is dedicated to the study of magic and deals with the conflicts between uh, sorcerers who are sort of spontaneous spellcasters and wizards who are book-learning spellcasters. Uh, we'll also be looking at some stories that focus on uh, an incubus and uh, his little world and the challenges that he deals with trying to reconcile his job, as it were, with modern civilization. And uh, a few other ones that I'm not quite ready to talk about yet. And then we're going to be leading into the next novel, which is Things Unseen, which is a police procedural um, in which we follow two magic affairs detectives who are investigating a body of a person who is apparently burned up from the inside out by magic. And in the course of investigating this, they get caught up with a missing socialite, a Paris Hilton-type personality who is, uh, her father is very important in the um, Metamore City nobility, and so he tasks them with finding his daughter who has gone missing. And they soon find out that these two investigations are entangled with one another, and that the young socialite and several of her friends among the nobility's youth have stumbled onto something that uh, was far more dangerous than they could handle. And there's a whole conspiracy of silence that has to be unraveled and all that good stuff. Are we going to be seeing any of the returning characters? Or rather, are any of the characters going to be returning? (laughs) Mm -hmm. We will be seeing, well, Abby Preston, the um, psychic uh, investigator from the first series, is going to be returning uh, in the first story, Whispers in the Wood. Um, we will also be seeing uh, Kate Katane, the uh, magic affairs detective from the first uh, episodes one and three of the podcast, and her partner, David Silverleaf. Uh, Janus Starson, the Lothanasi um, police invest, you know, he's the sort of the homeworld security agency, I believe is the way that Michael Spence described him. Right. Uh, he has a big part in both uh, Whispers in the Wood and in Things Unseen and shows up again uh, in a few other places over the course of the story. And some other characters who were um, sort of bit roles in the first season will be showing back up. Uh, Artax, the uh, wizard who runs the magic shop, Spells for You, will be returning. Right. And uh, maybe a few others as well. So Metamore City is a very rich environment. You've really put a lot of work into the setting, and I've always wanted to ask you, how much time have you spent creating this world? Like, when did you conceive the idea? <laughs> um, I started working on Metamore City back in 1998, 1999, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been writing for the world of Metamore Keep, which was a fantasy, high fantasy world, um, shared universe that uh, I took part in over an internet mailing list. And uh, I and a couple of the other people who were writing for that universe started thinking about what was going to happen if this world that we were all writing in uh, persisted into the time of high technology. And so I was the one who kind of took that idea and ran with it. And since we were getting close to the year 2000, it was like, well, what's the world of Metamore going to look like in 2000? And uh, so I just 
started writing down some ideas and bouncing them off of a couple of other people and started building this Bible of, you know, this is what people will, you know, use for transportation and this is what the city will look like and just sort of gradually began expanding it out in all different directions uh, based on what I was interested in and what I was wondering about at that given time. So it was something that grew very organically um, mm-hmm. just based on, yeah, I wonder what that that's going to be like. And, you know, that leads to this and that leads to this. And sometimes it would, I would be in the process of writing and find odd little gaps and things that I didn't, hadn't thought about up to that point that I really should have thought about. But uh, it's been a, it's been a very fun um, exercise in uh, world building. Right. And, until I got the opportunity to podcast it, that was all I thought it was ever going to be because the stories that I'd put out on the mailing list for Metamore City didn't really go anywhere. People weren't really responding to them very much. So when I got the opportunity to podcast and realized that I could actually afford to you know, set myself up to do that, it was like, well, I'm going to put out these short stories that I've written and see what the response is. So for a number of years, it was just this sort of ongoing experiment in world building. Uh, I'd put out the first few short stories in the setting uh, on the mailing list and hadn't really gotten much of a response. People weren't really into what I was doing with it. Um, But when I found out about podcasting and realized that I could actually afford to do a good setup, I thought, well, I'll just take these short stories and put them together as best I can and put it out there and see if there's any response. And there was. There sure was. <laughs> so um, how, how far have you written into the world? Um, what do you have complete, what I mean? Ah, okay. I've got, um, for this this year, I have, I think four or five uh, short stories, short story to novella length pieces that are ready to go. Plus one from Nobilis. Dan has promised me another one, uh, which I have not seen yet because he's currently working on his his own novel. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'm about halfway through the process of writing Things Unseen. I uh, went on a writer's retreat with Gail Carriger over the summer went up to her mom's place up in the along the uh, Pacific coast and we just spent a week working solid on our respective novels and I got a good ways into it during that time since then have not made nearly so much progress my uh, writing has kind of stalled due due to all of the uh, the pressures on me as a teacher this year right but uh, I have more than enough of a buffer in terms of content for me to finish the uh, the novel before uh, I catch up with what I've produced. That's very wise. Buffers are happy <laughs> things. Yes, I wish I had a bumper uh, or a buffer on my uh, production. Yeah, yeah, that, that's also a good thing to have. I, I recommend recording it all at once. I've only ever done that once. Mm-hmm. I had my wits about me to do that once, but it was definitely worth it. Yeah. The issue that I run into is that so much of what I do depends on my voice cast. And so I'm waiting to get lines back from people and 
when sometimes when I get them back, I need to get retakes on some lines or some lines get missed and, you know, stuff happens. Right. So that kind of slows down the production on that side. But fortunately, I have Paulette Jackson and Scott Roche to help me, and they have just been invaluable in keeping me on schedule for my production. How do you farm out the production? Because I did, in my production of The Takeover, I know it took me about three to four hours to do a 15-minute episode, and I can't imagine the work that goes <laughs> into what you create. Well, I do the baseline recording of the narration, and I send that off to Scott, and he snips out all my flubs and um, trims it down for time so that, we, so that uh, Paulette gets one solid um, chunk of edited narration. Then she takes the audio from my voice actors, um, picks out the takes that are the best, and puts them into the, uh, the narration so that I get back from her the narration plus the voices. Then my job is to add the intro and the outro and mix in the music and the sound effects. And my half of it takes probably anywhere from 8 to 12 hours for a typical 45-minute episode. Wow. And you're dedicated. And it paid off. You won the Parsec this year. Congratulations. Yes. Yes, I did. Thank you. It feels really good to to be recognized um, by not just my friends in the podcasting community, but by a whole panel of, of reviewers. That that really is very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Still waiting to actually get my hands on the Parsec itself. But <laughs> <laughs> I forget, did somebody accept for you? or did you, Yeah, you Chris, Christiana Ellis accepted for me. She was the um, member of the cast who was there, who had had the most prominent role. And she was, I think, also the one introducing the award. So... Well, awesome. Um, so tell me a little about your writing style, since that's a lot of what we talk about on this podcast. How do you mm-hmm. approach writing besides going off with awesome writers like Gail Carriger? <laughs> um, my writing style, I tend to come up with a premise initially for, you know, some or some kind of overarching question like a what if kind of a thing. Um, and then I sort of think about what characters do I need in that, in order to explore that question, what sorts of roles am I looking for? And so once I start thinking about those characters, I start, you know, writing down ideas about them and how they're going to fit in with each other and the sorts of, um, roles that they're going to play in the story. And then I go back to my concept and flesh it out a bit more. And um, based on what I know about the characters, I I typically, for a novel-length piece, I'll write like a one- to two-page summary of everything that's going to happen in the story in big, broad strokes. Then I'll go back and say, okay, do I need any more characters um, to do this story? And if I do, then I'll go back to my character list and flesh that out further. And then I'll start doing uh, like a scene-by-scene outline of what I want to happen in each um, scene in the story. And typically, that's only like a few sentences. And sometimes I'll have an idea for one part of the story that is really clear in my mind. And so I'll add more details 
about that piece and then go on to continuing to flesh it out. And once I've got that outline, then I go back to the beginning and start actually writing my first draft. And typically, I'll get about a third of the way into it before I realize that I haven't, I missed something or didn't think about something um, and then have to adjust my outline again to account for the changes that have happened or for new characters who I've had to introduce because characters just seem to show up in my stories (laughs) without me being able to control it. Um, In making the cut, which was the novel uh, for the first season, I had uh, the character of Miriam Bakhtavar who showed up in one scene because... um, I needed a, the viewpoint character for that scene was able to see through the disguise that the elders normally wear that sort of masks their identity. So I was like, okay, I need an elder who is actually fleshed out for this. But once I created her, she wouldn't leave. Right. <laughs> she was like, I kept thinking, well, no, given what I know about this character, she's going to respond to this set of circumstances with this and this and this. And then, okay, how are the bad guys going to respond? Well, they're going to do this to try to account for her or get her out of the picture. And all of a sudden, I had this whole third story arc that I hadn't planned on that was added into the book. Which is very, uh, it was an awesome story arc, too. Oh, thank you. I, I really enjoyed doing that story arc with her and um, with the... Um, the thrall that she ended up uh, befriending, Sarah Lena Greyhaven, um, those two are going to end up being very important to my long-term story arc plans for the entire world of Metamore City. And they pretty much popped in out of whole cloth in the process of actually writing the, uh, the first actual draft of the script. So, yes, um, I guess that you would say my creation process is organically haphazard or haphazardly organic, (laughs) but uh, I'm using Scrivener now and it's really helping me to stay organized and keep all of my ideas in one place. Oh yes. I love Scrivener. It is wonderful. And see, it's wonderful for the people that, that do lots of outlines and not. So um, (laughs) it's, it's interesting that you say you work from a, diligent outline and yet your characters still get away from you because yes. you're one or the other. <laughs> yeah. I think it's partly because I am what really interests me about stories are characters, mm-hmm. but I am a person with obsessive compulsive world building tendencies. <laughs> so, well, you know, those... that's okay. Cause you're still writing. Exactly. It's not that you have a, a problem with um, world building and never following through. Yeah. I went through that phase for a while with Metamore City. Um, what became making the cut um, was kind of growing ha- off and on in outline form from about 2004 to April of 2007. And I would work on it a little bit and then set it aside and then pick it up again about a year later and work on it a bit more and set it aside. And uh, it wasn't finally until um, the spring of 2007 when I listened to Billabub Battings. I was like, 
okay, if I'm going to try this podcasting thing, I've got to have something to follow up if the the short stories are successful. And so I pushed myself to finish that outline. And in May 2007, I started actually writing the thing. And I was like, I'm going to get this thing finished, damn it. And uh, took me until, I think, November of 2000, or the end of October 2008, um, to finally finish the story. But uh, finishing a novel for the first time, that was a great feeling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, well, we are getting close to running out of time, Chris. Can you tell us where to find you and your fabulous Metamore City online? Absolutely. You can find my stuff at metamorecity.com. That's M-E-T-A-M-O-R city.com. Uh, you can also find my blog at chrislester.org that I add to haphazardly whenever I have something that I need to get off my chest that isn't metamore related. And uh, you can find me on Twitter as Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. Great. And we'll have all those things in the show notes. So thank you so much for being on the show, Chris. Thanks again, Murr. My pleasure. The Fey world is lost. We have spun beyond the reach of the human world. But some chose to stay. Lost, magical souls adrift in a world of the future. And yet now, as the darkness approaches, you must rely on the orphans we left behind to save your world. Step back into the world of magic and find out what happens when the future and the Fae collide. Digital Magic, sequel to the award-winning Chasing the Bard, begins on November 11th, 2009. Subscribe at digitalmagicnovel.com and prepare for magic. Welcome back to I Should Be Writing, and I am here with the last of my triple threat interviews, and very likely the best, because, you know, it is Pip Ballantyne after all. How are you, Pip? Very well, Mur. That's very, very kind of you to say so. Well, you know, uh, Digital Magic actually came out in print last year and uh, did quite well, and so I know a lot of people have been looking forward to it coming to podcast. What can you tell me about it? Um, Digital Magic is the sort of the sequel to Chasing the Bard. It's not uh, a direct follow-on. It's about Puck, who has been uh, trapped in the human world for quite a few hundred years and how that's changed him. And it's also a little bit set in New Zealand as well. It's one of those sort of two-pronged stories that uh, you're following two stories along and suddenly you find the twist at the end that tells you how they're connected. And it's uh, really, I'd describe it as a cyberpunk fairy story. Awesome. Um, I remember last time when I interviewed you for your for the launch of the book, you mentioned mm-hmm. it would be a while before you podcast, and it doesn't feel like it's been a year, but I guess it has been. Yeah, those years, they seem to fly by. Yeah, so, uh, but you've had an exciting year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a very unusual and fun and scary year. Um, getting an ace book deal was kind of something that sort of came out of left field. Yeah, that was fantastic. Can you tell me a little <sighs> yeah. bit more about that? Yeah, um, I think it was about May this year that I signed the contract with Ace for Geist, which is a sort of a a buddy cop fantasy novel, if that makes any sense. Uh-huh. It's got ghosts and, and, and supernatural elements in it as well. 
And so I signed a two book two book deal with Ace, and the first book, Geist, comes out in hopefully September two thousand and ten. We're hoping for Worldcon to have a launch launch party there oh, in well, Melbourne. That makes sense. Yeah, right next door to me. So, and then um, I'm not quite sure when the next book, but it's coming out sometime after that. Will be Spectre, which is the the sequel. So we're hoping to get a few more books, but just two at the moment. Right. So that's what you're currently working on, Inspector. Yes, yes, and boy, is it! I think I've got two book itis. No, oh, no. The, um, <laughs> book two itis, which is, um, I guess, the magic strikes in the first book, and you're going with the flow, and suddenly you've got these sort of constraints on you in the second book because you've got the characters and you've got the world already set out. Yeah. So it's a, a little bit more of a struggle, but I'm getting there, getting there. Using Nano to uh, spur myself on a little bit. Oh, excellent! Are you are you on track, or have you fallen off the wagon like I have? Slightly fallen off the wagon, <laughs> just a little. We don't just need a little. Talk, we don't need to talk word count. So uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm up to about sixty five thousand so far, but it's 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 hitting um, stride again. You know that 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 sweet moment where suddenly everything starts to pop and you're thinking, okay, right, this is this is the spot. Mm-hmm. But it just been, feels like for the last 15,000 words, it's been like pulling teeth. It's like, oh, I've got to keep right. You know, you know those spots you get. Oh, yeah. Well, how do you make yourself <laughs> right when you hit those spots? Um, I actually did a couple of things. I stopped in a scene. There was a bit of a traveling section going on in the book, and I was like, oh, for goodness sake, just get there already. So I just... <laughs> I just stopped it there, put a couple of uh, square brackets around it and said, yeah, this will need some major editing, and then just switched to the scene where all the characters kind of come together and uh, and things really start happening because I think they were spending too much time, you know. It was turning into a bit of a Tolkien walk around the universe kind of thing. Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to mention, I wish Tolkien had thought that that might be a good idea. <laughs> There's been a lot of walking in here, I'm just saying. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, it's 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 um, now we we're now we're up to some murders and uh, a few other exciting a bit of time travel thrown in, and that seems somehow to have picked up the pace a little bit. <laughs> okay, so murder and time travel is your advice for what happens when people hit the wall <laughs> in their novel. I like I think, it. I think you can. I mean, you got to allow yourself if if that bit's not working to just just leave it and come back to it. The mm-hmm. joy of editing. Oh, I'm yeah. really learning. Out. So you know, no one's no one's going to tell you off if you just if you if you cut it off at that point and come back later. No one's going to know, exactly. except now, except now, all of your listeners. Yes. <laughs> They'll probably pick it up and go, "Oh, that's where she stopped." <laughs> well, they won't tell anybody. We can trust them. Yeah. Uh, you recently did a uh, had a couple of weeks in the U.S. and I'm very sorry I didn't get a chance to run into you during my one day at Blog World. But um, you hit World Fantasy Con, which is a con I have not attended, and I wanted to know how that went for you. It was really very different. Um, I mean, I've been to a few conventions here in, in New Zealand. There were no media guests there. Um, there was one person that was maybe in costume. <laughs> Most of the world fantasy is about business, so you've got editors, writers, and publishers there. And most of what it seemed to be about, from my perspective, was um, the stuff that happened around the bar. Mm-hmm. They had this whole big um, pit in the in the Fairmont Hotel of big overstuffed chairs, and you could just, you know, you could hear the deals being done almost, very serious conversations going on, people meeting up and things like that. It was very light on the on the panels. There was I think only 
maybe two streams and they were just uh, mostly readings and signings and a few panels about discussions about steampunk and all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But you could see that the real reason that people turned up there was to to, to make the business happen and it was more about publishing than, than writing. But a great experience and quite a quite a different way of looking at things. Like I, uh, like I said, it's... Um, it's it's not writing, it's publishing. It's about publishing. And seeing all the I mean, I get a little starstruck. There was Tad Williams was there and Tim Powers was mm-hmm. there. Catherine Kerr was there and I was <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was definitely having to control the fangirl moments that, yes. that, that that were threatening to erupt out of me at any moments. Just be cool. Just be cool. That's what I was sitting in my head. <laughs> So, I mean, would you say it was a, a good experience for you or did, did the business side of things kind of blindside you and make you not enjoy it as much? No, I, th- I think I did enjoy it. I mean, my agent, Laurie, was there, so I got to spend a lot of time with her spending, you know, lunches talking about things and she introduced me to people and and um, schmoozed a few editors and stuff like that. So it was different, but I would still – I think if you have a book that you want to pitch and you're, and you're ready, then it's a good place to go to. But maybe if you're just starting out in the writing thing, then you probably don't want to um, – I would, I would wait a little while until you're ready to sort of dive into that, that uh, shark pool. <laughs> <laughs> How big is World Fantasy? I, it didn't feel very big. Um, I think maybe they, the thing I was surprised by was that they capped membership. I'd never experienced that in a con before, but I think it's about 2,000 people, but it didn't feel like there were 2,000 people around. I don't know what they were doing. The, the parties apparently are also where uh, quite a bit of business goes on and a lot of schmoozing and, and uh, went to Gail Carriage's uh, uh, Solus book launch party, which was fabulous. Yeah, I saw the pictures from that. That looked mm-hmm. gorgeous. Lovely little finger food and cups of tea, and no, it was lovely. It was it was packed, um, and got to meet a few people there. That was, yeah. Just what am I doing here? What am I doing here? <laughs> Again, that inner voice, just you know, clamping down on <laughs> on freaking out about those sort of things. But yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Well, that's great. Um, yeah, I, I I hit that sort of like business freeze up at Worldcon, and um, mm-hmm. I just want to say I do understand what you mean. Like <laughs> starstruck, and oh my god, who yes. is that? Is that who I think it is? And yeah, well, you had Neil himself there, didn't you? <laughs> yes, yes, Neil Gaiman was there, and uh, yeah, I I did get a chance to interview him, which was awesome. Yeah, and. Uh, Tried not to be too fangirly and starstruck. Yeah. Don't know how I did, but... Uh... <laughs> you did very well. I listened to that interview. It was oh, great. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's... it's the, the, Those business cons are interesting. I, that was my first one this year, too. So um... I sort of realized that it is... I mean, there is a lot of stuff about, you know, how your, good your craft is and how you work social media and all of that sort of stuff. But there is still a lot of the undercurrent of who you know, like who can introduce you to who. There's a lot of that, which I think is, um, you you really only get that if you go to those sort of conventions and stuff and sort of mingle a little bit. I mean, I think since, since time immemorial, people have been, you know, networking and, 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 uh, meeting friends of friends to, to make business happen. And I don't think that's going to go anytime soon. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. 
So uh, you just started with Digital Magic. I guess that's going to be your focus for a little while, or do you have another plan? Um, well, my plan was to do it every week, to release every week, but um, with having to write Spectre and uh, Erotica a la carte and all these other sort of things, I've kind of ended up spinning it out every two weeks, or as we would say here, fortnightly, mm-hmm. um, because it will sort of, roll nicely into Geist coming out and all of that. So um, that'll be, it'll be my main focus for the moment. I don't know what 2010 is going to bring. So I'm trying to not, you know, it's very tempting. I'm, I, I have shiny-itis, you know, you're like, oh, I want, I want to try new things. And, and people are coming up with collaborative ideas and cool things. And I'm trying desperately not to pile my plate too high because, you know, some – some really cool opportunity to co- could come along next year, and I'm and oh, I can't fit that in. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure you know you know what that's about. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I definitely do. Uh, well, where can we find you online, Pip? You can find me at PJ Ballantine. That's B-A-L-L-A-N-T-I-N-E dot com, or um, you can find Digital Magic at digitalmagicnovel.com. Fantastic! Thank you so much for being on the show again, Pip. It's lovely to be here, Mer. Music for I Should Be Writing is provided by Beatnik Turtle, and you can find them at beatnikturtle.com. The preceding program is part of the Farpoint Media family of podcasts. To find out more about Farpoint Media and the many other podcasts available, visit www.farpointmedia.net. A world of audio wonder awaits you there.